is Beth in Texas. Grateful to be recovering from marijuana addiction today. Um, my sobriety date this time around is October 17th, um, 2016. So I'm coming up on seven months now, and I'm truly grateful for that. Um, I say this time around because this is my fourth um, time getting some time together, probably my millionth time at attempting to get to some time together. And so I just wanted to kind of um, give you a brief um, summary. Well, it's planned to be brief, a summary of kind of my background with, with recovery, some things that I have found um, in recovery in my multiple attempts and um, some information on how it got for me in between those attempts, um, you know, but I, I keep coming back, and um, that's, you know, there's a lot of hope still, um, no matter how many times you fall off the wagon, so to speak. Um, I was a late bloomer, so to speak. I started smoking weed um, when I was 17. Um, I had been really anti-drug before then, and although I had been exposed to it, I had not chosen to partake. Um, it was uh, the beginning of my senior year when I started smoking weed, and um, I was, um, you know, in all honor AP classes. I mean, mostly A's and B's, and by the time my senior year ended, um, I there was a point mid midpoint where I was threatened to be withdrawn entirely and uh, given my GED due to, due to truancy, and I ended up finishing up my time in the special programs unit um, and dropping all my AP classes and just barely getting out with a diploma by the skin of my teeth. Um, I do believe that for me, marijuana. Um, was self-medication. I had had some mental health issues off and on throughout middle school and high school. Um, and as soon as I smoked and I got high, I was in love. And I started smoking basically all day, every day, uh, two weeks after the first time I got high. And it never stopped being like that. Um, so I very quickly saw the consequences of my use, although I stayed in denial of it just a bit longer. Um, I went away to school out of state and uh, basically fell apart. Um, I was using a lot of party drugs, drinking a lot. I was also highly over medicated um, for my mental health uh, issues and all of that was going on all at the same time. And um, when I started having some suicidal ideation at the end of my first semester, I knew you know, something had to change. Um, I came home, and I remember talking to my mom about it, and she said, well, I don't understand. It's just pot. Why can't, why can't you just stop? And, uh, you know, I know I don't have to tell y'all, but I you told her, like, I've tried. I can't stop. I feel like I need something between me and it. And at the time, I was talking about going to a treatment program, um, but later I came to realize that being my first admission to saying, like, I'm powerless and I need a higher power that's going to help me. But I didn't really understand it that way at the time. I had been, uh, 
you know, pretty devoutly religious at one point in at the beginning of my adolescence and then atheist and then agnostic. And that's kind of where I was at at that time um, was like, there might be something out there, but it doesn't have anything to do with me and I don't have anything to do with it. And um, I went to an outpatient program. Um, I went to an AA meeting in my hometown that had lots of young people at it. So I was kind of lucky to um, find a social group so that I could kind of transition um, and we would do fun things. We, you know, it was proven to me very early on that you could still have fun recovery. We would go dancing, um, you know, and get into all kinds of hijinks because we were still teenagers. And um, I was 19 years old at the time. So I only used for two years before I got clean the first time. And, um, I, while I was there, um, I got three different sponsors and they kind of progressed in being more and more, um, I don't, for lack of a better word, like step Nazis, like I became more and more willing to do what I needed to do. And, um, I also got involved up at the group and I went to group conscience. Um, I proposed a young people's meeting um, because we had the, uh, the, the old timers were always bitching about all the kids hanging out and the kids were always bitching about the old people getting on their ass and excuse my language, but I am going to talk how I talk, you know? Um, so I hope I don't offend anybody, but um, they, so we did get a young people's meeting started and um, I was really grateful to see that meeting far outlived me and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, you know, years later I would go back every once in a while to pick up a meeting when I was using again, you know, I, and uh, you know, I heard reports that like 40 to 60 people, young people were going to that meeting and I was always truly grateful to know that. Um, I, uh, on a like kind of parallel storyline, I met my son's father there at that AA meeting when I was 19 years old, and um, my relationship with him uh, is just like has been a constant storyline in and out of my reco recovery. So um, I mentioned that especially because um, I was in Dallas the Dallas area at the time, he wanted to move to Austin. I wanted to move to Austin with him. He relapsed right before we left, but I was in denial. I was still sober and moved, but did have the wherewithal to say, well, you know, I don't know if we should live, live together actually. So he lived in Austin proper and I lived outside of Austin where my school was. And, um, but I had a, a real struggle reestablishing my home group and my social life. There weren't any young people in the area that I was living in. Um, I occasionally went down into Austin because there was a group at the UT campus, but it was quite a drive. And I found suddenly that I was, you know, they say willing to go to any links, like the same links you would go to to get high. Well, I was willing to drive anywhere at any time to get high. But suddenly, like driving to UT, even just once a week was like, I don't have time for that. So you could see there were there were things going on where the the relapse was you know setting itself up, and I had and 
um, he and I broke up at some point because he was using and I was sober, but my resentment towards him, my lack of service, my lack of having a solid sponsor and doing solid stuff work. Um, I mean, it was inevitable. I was going to relapse and I think I was only down there for about two months before I relapsed. And, um, I'm, I, you know, managed for about six months. I continued praying and doing gratitude lists. Like, is this, you know, that was going to save me from going back into full-fledged addiction, but I was back to an all-day, everyday smoker within six months of that. So from about 2002 to 2008, I was using daily, all day, every day. Um, I um, went from being a student of the year, somehow managed to pull that off, even in my using in college, to... um, I got a job at a prestigious operation, um, but I was fired within six months for insubordination. Um, Then I tried to do The Artist's Way, which is a really phenomenal book about recovering your creativity by a woman who has 12-step experience, and I loved it, but it did not get me clean. Um, I had another job that was at a pretty, like what I considered like kind of a dream job for me. I always blamed it on getting narked out that I got fired. I was at the time doing an unusual thing. Usually I would try and quit smoking weed, but I keep smoking cigarettes. But this time I was quitting smoking cigarettes, but kept smoking weed. Well, I wasn't used to having to spray myself that much because I smoked cigarettes and I came in all the time smelling like weed and I got fired. Um, before, while some of this was going on, um, like without going into too many details, um, you know, I was off and on with my ex. Um, I'd break up with him because we were acting like we were in high school and like smoking weed in my car and like playing Uno in my car. And I was like, I truly love you and I don't want to have this relationship with you. So I'm going to break up with you because I'm not happy with us being like this. Um, to like getting totally out of control on my own. I had several um, instances of sexual assault right in a row. One of those ended up in a pregnancy, which ended up in an abortion. And that just fueled my, you know, self-destructive behaviors. And um, then to top it all off, I ended up getting a job at which point, at, at some point that, this is not a lie. The FBI came to my house for counterterrorism and left their card on my door. And I was sincerely believing that they had like come in and like tapped all my, you know, left bugs all up in my apartment. Um, I was watching a scanner darkly at the same time. If any of y'all are familiar with that, I was like having serious issues with paranoia and um, it was just getting really out of control. Um, and at that point I did another little thing that I would do. Like I was always seeking ways to like heal myself, but I wasn't willing to go back to 12 steps. Even though I had gotten almost two years, I had sponsored women. I had found joy. I had found a lot of happiness in my first recovery. I had been very lucky to be very willing. Um, I wasn't willing to go back for whatever reason. And, um, I think a lot of it was telling myself I'm not an alcoholic, 
and they always affectionately called me the pothead there, you know, but I wasn't acquainted with MA, nor was I trying to get acquainted with it. Um, I did a fast, like not a total fast, but like juice and stuff. And it was only for like, I don't know, two and a half days or something. But by the end of it, I didn't smoke any weed during that time. I didn't smoke any cigarettes. And like, it just like came to me. I was like, I have to get fucking clean. Like, I cannot, I cannot keep living like this. I'm going insane. And um, so I did go, um, I went back to an AA group in my area. I did become acquainted with MA at that point. There was um, an MA meeting in my area. I used the excuse that I thought that the guy who, was running the meeting was hitting on me as an excuse not to go um whether or not that was true i still think that if recovery had been my number one priority i could have found a way to like maybe assert myself and say hey like you're cool but i'm not into you like that so can you lay off or something you know but i just like ran away you know out of fear um i stayed clean for about six months i was working three jobs part-time one of which was my first job I had ever gotten like I had returned to the company I'd gotten my first job at so I was feeling really kind of sorry for myself and incompetent and um, I got back together with the ex and then he, um, he was clean because he had been arrested um, and then suddenly he disappeared and then suddenly I stopped being sober like when he disappeared I fell apart so I mean so there's a theme there of being of putting a person up as my higher power I would pray I would I believed in God but God was not my true higher power like this person was and if he was there then I was okay and if he wasn't then I wasn't and and that's been something that's been a hard lesson for me to learn. Like I'm, I still don't like, basically I stay out of relationships because I'm just like at this point, you know, cause I'm like, I don't even know where that's going to go. But I will say that I, although I was very skeptical about the whole don't date for your first year, the first couple of times in, I am no longer skeptical of that. So um, I endorse that, but um, I, I relapsed. He had gone off on a heroin binge. He showed back up and said, hey, come pick me up. I don't want to live like this anymore. So what did I do? Of course, I went and picked him up. Um, I went through like nine months of unemployment and went back and went to uh, waiting tables, which I had done when I was in college. Um, it wasn't very long, very much time passed before I found out he was texting other girls and not being nice to me and things like that and I felt really heartbroken but um this having had a history of being an abusive relationship verbally and sexually I and me believing I was in love with him I didn't leave and um about we were both using he said to me at some point like well if we're gonna live we're living like junkies we might as well do heroin if we're gonna live like this and I said look dude like I warned you like all y'all like who were like real druggies back when we were 19 years old and laughing at me for being the pothead who was clean at 19 years old let me tell you like I tried to tell you it was bad with me like I smoke all day every day I will sit there for five hours scraping a pipe you know so you know yeah I'm a junkie 
you know, I, I tried to tell you that, you know, but this was his first time we were living together for the first time. And it was his first, even though we'd been smoking weed together for years, it was the first time he really saw firsthand, like what I'm willing to do. Um, and, uh, so, um, again, I was trying to do things to heal myself. Um, and, and this was especially in that like nine months of unemployment before I went back to waiting tables. I took this course called nonviolent communication. I was really trying to figure out how to communicate with him in a way that was respectful of him and respectful of me and we get our needs met and yada, yada, yada. Um, well, you know, basically he was not interested in communicating, right? You can't communicate with somebody he doesn't want to. And, um, what it did was ironically, it led to our first violent fight and uh it was pretty terrible and he threatened to kill me and um i left i left for a month and i went and stayed with my aunt um my parents wouldn't let me come stay at their place i think they probably thought i was going to steal from them even though i you know never had but either way the point being that i had eroded trust with them over a period of many years and um I was uncomfortable at my aunt's house, even though I love her very much and I know she loves me. There were various circumstances in which I was uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, I was willing to go back to the devil I knew rather than staying in a place that was, you know, uncomfortable. And I wasn't comfortable with that discomfort. With him, I was comfortable with that discomfort. I was used to it. So I went back and that was a year of um, physical abuse. Um... I think like with many things, I stayed in denial of like how, you know, it it was always like, oh, well, surely he won't, surely I won't, you know, surely we won't get to this point. And then we would get to that point. It was just like with my addiction, you know, I, ne- I would never do such and such and then I would do it, you know. Well, when he, there was a point when I finally realized he really could kill me. And that's the moment when I decided I had to leave because it just, it finally became clear, like that, that was a very real possibility. And so I left, I was waiting tables. I allowed some of the people at my work to sexually abuse me. I was like a total mess. And um, I was working at a bar. Uh, the girls were doing shots. Anyways, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to get into all that. The point is, is I, I, had always stayed away from hard drugs because I'm like, if I'm this bad with weed, then like, don't even get me near that hard stuff because I will die within six months. And um, I did do coke. I would bring home uh, customers, um, and I was asked, and then I quit the job because I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I have no self-respect. Blah blah blah. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, mom and dad, will you pay my rent? And since I'm like unemployed and they're like, um, well, if you want us to pay your rent, you're going to have to go to a halfway house. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm not going to a halfway house. Uh, well, I did enroll in an IOP program. So this was now my second IOP intensive outpatient program. I tried to go to inpatient. Honestly, they wouldn't have me when I told them that my drug of choice was marijuana. They're like, Oh no, no girl. Like we don't have room for you. And, um, so I was in an outpatient program. 
I was around a bunch of heroin addicts. I'd been dating a heroin addict for a long time. And lo and behold, I swear the universe is the craziest thing ever that um, this heroin addict comes and asks me for a cigarette and gets into conversation with me as this chick. And she looks just like me. And what do I do? I go and I do heroin with her. And, and I still to this day think it was me like trying to qualify myself as a true drug addict. You know, I almost died that night. I did way too much. And that's all it took for me to say, okay, I'm going to a halfway house because this girl started knocking on my door every single day. And I just knew like no good would come from that. So I went and got in the halfway house. Um, I was going to an AA group. I found a fellow pothead who had been clean for like a decade in AA who was a pothead so I felt really lucky for that um about um a month after I moved into the halfway house they let me have a night out I don't advocate giving any drug addict a night out after only one month of clean time um I felt like I was either going to call my old dealer and really look for something harder than weed or I was going to go back to my ex. And so I went back to my ex for one night and hence I have a son and I love my son more than anything because he's an angel and um, I would rather have the son than the father any day of the week. And he helps me keep my shit together. Although as I think many parents know, on the line. Um, unfortunately, a child is not always as, um, well, I'll get to that. Um, I stayed clean my entire pregnancy. I was living at the halfway house most of the time. My parents wouldn't let me move home. And then I got kicked out of the halfway house. We'll say for administrative reasons, it was not for using, um, I was working the steps with that sponsor who had been a pothead in AA. My folks were going to an organization called Families Anonymous. They, um, I moved home because my dad was like, I called him. I said, all my stuff's in my car, and I'm either coming home or I'm going to a hotel. And so I went home. And basically, as soon as I moved home, my parents stopped going to Families Anonymous. And my mom was like, you don't really have to do those meetings, do you? Uh, I lived about 30 minutes away from my sponsor. I stopped doing my steps. I stopped doing my meetings because basically I was still in a place where if I was challenged, I wasn't, I, I wasn't able or, or I wasn't able to stand up for myself and what I really needed. Um, I relapsed after two years of sobriety. My son was 15 months old. Um, some of my most shameful moments of using happen in the next two and a half years um, between when he was 15 months old and when he was about four and a half. Um, so I guess that was about three years. Um, I moved out to Tyler again for a guy, not a good idea. Um, I made all sorts of rules for myself. I wasn't ever gonna bring weed with me out to Tyler. Well, I broke that rule first thing um, because I was, I had an empty house that I was moving stuff into and my parents were keeping Eli. So of course I was going to get high. He wasn't with me. I was a single mom. I was a first year teacher. I kept using 
my students knew I used, or at least suspected I used. Um, and I wasn't making any friends. I was living in a town that was very much like either you grew up there or you went to church there, and I didn't hadn't done either. So I was just isolated. And I would go back to Dallas, and I'd buy some, and I'd bring it back with me, and I'd smoke it, and I smoked it a lot. And um, there are some things I'm really ashamed of associated with that time in my life. Um, I kept trying to stop and cut down, but it got really bad in the last year. That would be like the beginning and middle of 2016. It got really bad. Um, I was on the verge of getting fired from my job for tardiness, which I've lost, like, I can't even tell you how many jobs for tardiness, and uh, which is completely re related to my drug use, you know, because it's like, oh, one more bowl, you know, like before I go, and um, so um, a friend, friend of mine from college, a guy offered to move me down to Austin if I wanted to come live with him, and even though I knew it was the worst idea in the world, I said, sure. He's a pothead. I told him I wanted to stop smoking weed, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, Beth, you go, like, you're like a pendulum. It's like sometimes you don't want to smoke at all, and then other times you're smoking all the time. Well, in truth, like, usually I'm smoking all the time. Um, and that what sucks about being a pothead who's been exposed to recovery is you can't ever fucking enjoy it. So, like, since I was 19 years old, <laughs> like – I've had good times in there. I'm not saying it's all been shitty, but it's like I'm totally aware of what I'm doing to myself the whole time, and um, that pretty much sucks. Um, it was a bad relationship. It was very controlling. I was not being true to myself. Um, I had gotten myself in a bad, you know, situation where I was financially dependent on him. Um, I decided to go to IOP, and I broke up with him. And he moved out. And um, actually, the day he moved out is my sobriety date. That is not saying that it's his fault. That's just saying, like, I had been in, in IOP for two weeks already. I'd been using in those two weeks of IOP. Um, I'd been trying to get clean, honestly, for six months before that, like, just trying, 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 but not, I mean, what, controlling, you know, and not controlling. And, um, he took it, he took it with him. I gave him all my pipes. I was like, take it away from here. And that, that was just like my moment of willingness. I'm like, okay, like that's out of my life. I did still have a connect. I, I do still have a connect in where I'm living and I'm sure I could find more if I wanted to. Um, but I just erased that number out of my phone, went to outpatient program, got drug tested there and was like, I'm going to do this. Um, I went to the outpatient program for for four more weeks after that. When I got graduated, I went to AA in November and December. I got a temporary sponsor at my first AA meeting. Um, I did like an online smart recovery meeting. I did an online MA meeting. I will admit that I did not immediately find the phone meetings on the MA website, probably because I didn't look that hard. Um, and then I downloaded the app and I found the phone meetings on that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But I didn't do anything about it. I was just like, oh, noted, you know. Well, I'm lucky to live in a town that does have land meetings. So I came to one in January 
I again asked for a temporary sponsor the first meeting I went to and she is still my sponsor. Um, I met several women who were also single moms at that first meeting. Um, you know, I shared from the heart and they just came up to me afterward and like, Hey, you're like singing my song over there. And one of those women had already started doing phone meetings. And so she started texting me like, Hey, I'm getting on the phone meeting. Like, this is the number, this is the access code. And, um, although I'm sure I would have maybe come around to the phone meetings eventually, cause I am kind of housebound as a single mom, like that personal connection made such a difference to me. And it gave me a little bit more courage to like take the action step. Um, I really, this is my first time working the steps in MA. I'm so grateful to be here. I feel like I found family here. I don't have to like explain myself, justify myself, defend myself. Um, the way I would have to, you know, in outpatient programs or AA, y'all understand, you know, you know how difficult it is. Um, I really like the workbook and working my steps. Um, you know, I did one, two, three, um, and, you know, was pretty convinced of all of those steps. Personally, just I've seen so many things come true for myself. Um, I just can't deny one, two, three. Um, I am in the middle of my fourth step and I have a lot of current struggles going on. Um, I'm, I have unemployment. I'm currently in a PTSD ILP. I'm facing a housing crisis situation. Um, I'm doing my best to practice courage and faith. Um, Y'all completely help me through that, y'all remind me to give it over to God and to say the serenity prayer and to do the next right thing. Um, and I don't always remember to do that on my own. Um, my sponsor had me play the tape through one time when I was walking into a dangerous situation where I was going to be around weed. That shit doesn't, like, doesn't occur to me. Even in all my experience with recovery, like, that's not the first thought that comes into my mind and I'm just so grateful that I have people to talk to who will remind me like turn it over say a prayer play that taste through what's going to happen next you know and um I had I you know I have gathered numbers I've gathered many numbers from the phone lines um because you know my sponsor's not always available and that's okay and call the next person and that person's phone goes to voicemail and call the next person because like it is my recovery, you know? I can't blame so-and-so that they weren't available and so I used, you know? I have to be willing to keep trying and reaching out. And then you know what? Sometimes I can't get through to anybody and I'm like, damn it, God, what, do you want me to pray or something? You know, and then I have to remember, oh, yeah, like when all the other people aren't there, there's still God is always there for me. And my understanding of God is like really polytheistic, God, goddess, spirit, American Indian, Hinduism, Buddhism, all up in there. And I'm okay with that. And I go to synagogue because I have Jewish ancestry. So that just is what works for me on a side note and, um, or the central note, I guess I should say. Um, I'm really inspired by the principles that reading that talks about which uh, principle stands for each step. Um, I have to, you know, I'm pretty, oh, I'm pretty practiced at doing, I, I practice honesty fairly well. I practice hope miserably. And that's something that I have to like keep 
bringing back and bringing back, and I'm doing my best to practice uh, faith and courage every day, every day. Um, my interpersonal struggles and my living struggles, it's just what I'm trying to do, and I do go to meetings almost every day. And I started offering to chair meetings as soon as I was um, eligible, which I, I have found that for me right now, I'm cha uh, chairing every other week on each phone line so that I have one meeting per week that I'm chairing. Obviously, like, go to any links for your sobriety, but don't go so far that you fall off the cliff and get burnt out. You know, you have to protect yourself, too, and figure out what's going to work best. But I do wholeheartedly believe that service is one of the central, you know, one of the most important, strongest legs of sobriety. So I'm um, going to end it there. Thank you, Maria, for inviting me. I was pretty nervous, but I appreciate the opportunity to share my story with y'all.